Hello. Oh, hello, Marilyn. How are you feeling today? Hi, Dan. Hi. Uh, uh, you okay? Yeah. Are you doing something? I'm doing. It's like you're in the middle of something. No, I'm feeling good. I'm just. I'm worried. I'm worried about you. No, never worry about me. I'm fine. You're good. Fine, fine, fine. Mm-hmm. How are the uh, How are the five? The Magic Five. Big Hero Five. The magic Five. Five cold sores. Oh, 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 oh. No, no. You know, I'm I'm on the mend. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll try to mute it. Uh, now I'm you know just getting rid of everything. Clearing everything out. Must go. Clearing mm-hmm. everything must go. Mm-hmm. Everything's yeah. marked down. <laughs> We got snot, we got boogers, we got mucus, we got phlegm, everything must go. We're selling everything, down to the fixtures. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. It's like a spring cleaning, but for uh, for your whole insides. Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, it's, I stopped taking that stuff. <laughs> yeah, how oh, good. Good, yeah, the yeah. detox is over. Oh, God. Here's hoping. Oh. How's it going? Good. You want to talk about your new show? I mean, if this, you're, if you want, if you want well, to. Well, I just noticed on your website that you launched. If someone launches a new show, they want to talk about it. Why well, don't you yeah, tell us about I mean, your new show? I don't want to. You know, I don't want to like. I can talk about Flem as much as you want. <laughs> maybe we. Maybe I ought to. <laughs> the uh, sure, I'll, I'll go. Hang on, hold yours for a minute. All right. Um, you know, it's it's been a journey for me. It's been a it's been a long a long walk for me, and um, I've been sick for about two weeks, which is very interesting for people to hear. Mm-hmm. And now the uh, composition uh, of my various fluids is uh, evolving from from solid and green to mm-hmm. more clear and yellow and, and yeah, hello blood, low blood, yeah. Uh, but uh, but you know, I'm I'm doing pretty well. Don't I sound better? <clears throat> no, you sound much 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 better. Yeah, I found that the second week for me, once the fever broke, that's when I actually started to feel like worse in 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 the other symptoms you know the, mm-hmm. the what you would describe as upper respiratory symptoms yeah yeah that's how it goes by the time you're coughing and stuff you're usually kind of mending thing i don't know we should ask john syracuse about this he knows about things he is like, an expert in this i i, I mean i want to know like when you're most um contagious to other people oh just me i i can i can share my studies in that I wish you would give me some scholarship. I have, uh, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but my understanding is that you are most contagious in the in the earlier part. You're contagious the whole time. That's understanding uh, a. That's life, right there. Yeah, and then the second part is my understanding is you're you're contagious, most contagious in the earlier part of it, and then by the time that it's sort of when you're feeling better. And you're you feel like you you have energy, but then you just have that cough that never ends or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're still contagious, but l- I believe less so. But the, I've read something that said that you're contagious the whole time, and that children are contagious even uh, two weeks after their symptoms have ended. So wow, yeah. and uh, and and but you give people the same kind of cold the whole time. You're not like a wizard or something, right? Right. Yeah, it'd be kind of neat if you give people different things, different something different. Hmm. Yeah. Like a like a casting a different spell. Casting a different spell. You're yeah. a magic user. You're an illusionist. <laughs> uh, Were you ever a magic user? I almost. I think I played a magic user once. The the kind of Dungeons and Dragons that we played when I was a kid were not was not kind uh, to the clerics and the magic users and the illusionists <laughs> because all of the things. Because when you start out and you get a low level character, yeah, I mean, you know every every low level character you try and have you know an adventure that is going to match up with what they can do. You're not going to put them up against you know. Super high power. You're not going to get good vampires in the first level or something like right, that. Right, right. You're going to get your you're going to get your bugbears, right? 
That kind of thing. Yeah. And um, boy, which I really, I, I recently misestimated the number of hit points a bugbear has. I was way off. I thought it was 40, but it's actually like 16. Were you low? Were you a bit low? I was a bit low. They're punks, those guys. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they, they could be noisome. Um, and, you know, we, we played a kind of D&D that was, by D&D standards, incredibly lame. It was, we were playing AD&D, <laughs> yes. but we were not doing any of the things that make D&D D&D. Like, we didn't do, like, the turns, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ma- and melee. the resting, mm-hmm. and we didn't do encumbrance, and we didn't do any of the nerd stuff that people who, you know, you could just carry, you could carry around as much stuff as you wanted. You could be, you could be like a junkyard with high hard boots <laughs> right. and nobody cared. I had a, a neighbor two doors down um, when I was first, like, entering the workforce. And he was about my age. I So I guess this was, like, mid-90s. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I felt like when I was, when I, see, now playing D&D I think is pretty pretty normal i would say it fits into the realm of you're you're not automatically putting yourself into a separate it's not the total weirdo outsider thing yeah it used to be. and so it back when we were kids playing D or wanting to which is i think i spent more time wanting to play D than actually finding other people to play D with mm-hmm. uh, but you know it's just lots of making characters and you know but now i think it's okay i think it's seen as like an okay activity to play D and I remember uh, that in the 90s, in the mid-90s as an adult, he was the only person I knew who was playing D&D as an adult. And he would have other people who would come over to his house and they would do the whole thing. They were doing campaigns. You know, they had maps. Yeah, 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 sure. They they followed the encumbrance rules. That's a lot to keep track of, Dan. And they did, but they didn't just do that. They would get into into character and they would they would use... Uh, a British British accents, and they would they would be so if you you know if if you were playing like a dwarf who was a, a fighter, he would take on, adopt almost the mannerisms of the dwarven fighter for the duration of the of the gameplay, which would last hours. Cool. I, I, I admire that. They all did that. They all yeah. did that. It was quite something. We would sometimes lapse into a terrible English accent, but I think that's more uh, that's more the state of being a teenager. I think as a teenager, you just are very naturally inclined to to fake a British accent sometimes. Yeah, there are some a, there was was girls our age who would just talk like that all the time. Were they from the UK? Heck no, they're from oh. Pasco County. Okay, hello. <laughs> sort of like uh, like uh, Billy Joe in Green Day. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. You know, it's so funny you should say that. Uh, Roderick and I talked this, about this a few weeks ago, where he feels like, even though he was steeped in D and D lore, he still he feels like he can't actually say that he played D and D because he only actually played it like half a dozen times, which is probably really about as many times as I ever actually yeah, played. I was going to say, I think that's me too. I, I I think that must be a kind of a common thing. Yeah. And but I don't think that does anything to diminish how involved you were in the culture of it. You know, I mean, I could just, I could go to our little hobby shop on a Saturday and mm. just spend all day, every, all of my needs, needs would be attended to. Why didn't they, you uh, play the game more? Well, I, I mean, speaking for myself, um, I, um, I mean, I don't know. You know, everybody is, everybody is a funny combination of extroverted and introverted. And at first I made fun of the kids who played D&D because I thought it was dorky. And then I started to think it was really interesting. And then I got the books and I loved reading the books. You know, started with the player handbook. Yeah. And uh, I would read modules and I would Me make too. maps. I Sometimes character stuff. 
but it was more like I liked. I told you before about how my daughter likes to when we play together. She's for since she was a really little kid. She likes going on trips, uh, like make believe vacations mm-hmm. and taking airplane trips and stuff. And she doesn't really care that much about where she's going. She just likes packing. And I think I'm like that <laughs> when it comes to D and D. I think I like packing. Yeah. I think I like all of the administrivia. I like the maps. I like I like just looking stuff up in books. I like knowing that that was my baseball. You know, and no, a lot of it ways. totally was because if you think about the people who are now, I love that you said that because that is a hundred percent right. There are people who love sports, especially, and for some reason, uh, and I think because there are so many uh, detailed stats when it comes to baseball, it's always baseball for some reason. But there are people who get into baseball and they just. They'll read the stats. They'll memorize the stats. You could say, oh, in uh, you know, 95, what did this guy hit? Oh, he was hitting the, you know, they memorize that stuff. But I'm with you. I would sit there and I loved reading the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide. And I would like learn about all. And we never used the same kind of rules you use. That was too, too, too difficult. But I love just reading the monster manual, you know? Are you playing like basic D&D? I, I played basic D&D first and then went to advanced D and D, as far as like how I was making the characters, and the few times I was like enough to find people to to play the game with, that's what we played. Advanced, D&D. right? Well, I played advanced D and D very basically. I'll just say that, <laughs> yeah. But um, um, you know, I I also have this theory. I guess this this has somewhat to do with the di- different kinds of intelligence that people have, the different you know sorts of intelligence. But I think some people maybe partly by genetics, but very much by disposition and upbringing and taste, Mm -hmm. tend to be predisposed toward certain kinds of activities because their mind likes certain kinds of information. And I think I always, I was an almanac nerd. I love reading almanacs. And I know this is a thing. I've talked to so many of my friends who loved reading almanacs, loved reading encyclopedias, um, you know, you might like novels and stuff, but mostly you really enjoy just tons and tons of facts and then being able to synthesize and assimilate those facts in different ways. And I think in all kinds of things we tend to think of as nerd things, that's a really big thing. I mean, you know, just about every time I'm in a comic store, you know, with men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you still hear people talking about like who would win in a fight between these two people and why. And it's, and, and it, I, I find it hilarious and interesting. Because these are very thoughtful, well-socialized guys who just happen to have a point of view on something. Like somebody who could, I don't know what, Dark Side versus Thanos or whatever, or, yeah. you know. Hulk versus yeah. Superman. Right, exactly. Now, that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and uh, you can have that conversation on any number of levels. I think I told you about the first time I went to what used to be a local comic store here. I overheard two guys talking for 15 minutes about whether Superman could have sex with Lois Lane without killing her. Right. And I think that's a conversation, I'm given to believe that that's a conversation that has been had many times in America over the last 50 years. So anyway, I, I think that, you know, in terms of what you enjoy, so it's funny. So John would say, well, I don't know. I didn't actually play D&D around a table with other people that much. So does that mean I didn't play D&D? Well, maybe you didn't play campaigns very much, but, you know, you had the mind for all of those different kinds of facts and, and culture and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I think it's super interesting. And, and, but then again, we don't, you know, people besides me, uh, tend to give a pass to anybody who's a giant, uh, sports nerd, no matter what their uh, physical condition is. So they're not out there swinging a sword with the Yankees, but they're allowed to be considered great sports fans because they have this depth and breadth of knowledge 
about the domain. Do you know what I mean? So it's okay if you go out and buy an $80 official uh, era jersey and then sit around and eat nachos and call yourself a sports fan. But like, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? No, it does. And, you know, there's, there's nothing about sports that's less weird than playing D&D, if you really think about it, you know, like there's nothing strange. There's nothing that that's somehow stranger about reading the Dungeon Master's Guide than there is about reading stats about baseball games that were played 15 years ago. All right, let me tell you about our uh, our first sponsor. It is PDF Pen Pro 7 from Smile Software. Love the Smile folks. And uh, they have put so much hard work into PDF Pen Pro. It's amazing. What is it? It is a versatile PDF editor for OS X. You can edit OCR text from scanned pages. You can export this stuff to Excel, PowerPoint, PDF archive formats. You can create PDF forms, you know, those little fancy little forms with interactive signature fields. You can make those. It has all those updates. Stuff like, I mean, now it's all updated for Yosemite. So it looks beautiful on Yosemite. You can proof OCR text from scanned pages. You've got context-sensitive pop-up menus. You can do things like quick edits, and it's compatible with iCloud Drive. These guys have thought of everything. you got the free-form highlighting so you can call out drawings and diagrams when you pass this stuff on. So much more. Uh, You know, you can go over to PDF. You can go over PDF Pen Pro. You can learn more about it by uh, watching the amazing stuff that David Sparks, a.k.a. Max Sparky, has done. He's got brand new videos that outline how to do tons of the stuff that you just you just want to get in there and make use of PDF Pen 7, PDF Pen Pro 7. And there's a special URL to go to learn about that, to see his amazing videos, to go learn more about this application. It's smilesoftware.com slash B2W, smallsoftware.com slash B is in boys, two is in the number, W is in uh, women. Go there and check it out. You can watch these amazing videos and uh, you'll also be able to to download and check out PDF Pen Pro. I don't, I don't know how people live without this application. So thanks very much to Smile, creators of uh, PDF Pen Pro for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Man. Did you ever do the LARPing? No, Roderick did that, like the running around in sewers. Yeah. That, that, I had a different flavor of that where I, when I was about 14, I liked to act like I was a ninja. But I, I didn't do a lot of who, uh, who didn't? Did you have throwing stars? Sure, I did. The best thing in the whole world, I remember this so vividly, at like 11 or 12 years old, I don't know how we got them. I don't know where we, we came into possession of these catalogs. But there were these catalogs out there. You could order uh, Chinese throwing stars. You could order swords. You could, could order, order some rubber chucks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Size sticks. All manner of, you could get the tabby boots. I think you're thinking maybe of like a black belt magazine. I think that must have been what it was. You could get that, but then you would place an order to one of these, and they would then, they would then send you the catalog. And you would have, we had these catalogs that had these, what, what were pretty lethal kind of weapons that they didn't mm-hmm. do any age checking nothing i ordered it was, a, it was a, it was a golden age at 12 years old i was ordering throwing stars over the mail in, in the mail and yeah. receiving them and they some of them were You're fairly right. sharp i remember my interest in a few god there was such a it was a really really weird time for me i'm gonna peg it to something like ninth grade which is a, a really weird this is not interesting to anyone but me but it was an interesting turning point because there was all kinds of very different kinds of things that I felt kind of equally intensely about, even into 10th grade. 10th grade is the year 
in my head that I officially really got into music mm. and was like, you know, very, I mean, I'd started buying Beatles albums in eighth grade, but like I was much more like just trading music, trading albums with friends. Um, and just, just found myself getting super into what the who mm-hmm. Adam and the ants. Mm-hmm. I mean, like really weird, like stuff that didn't seem to kind of go together. While at the same time, I was still kind of coming out of my D&D phase. Eighth grade, I'd been totally obsessed with pro wrestling. So, but there was this point in between eighth and 10th grade, which is really, if you think about it, two years where like I was on this weird spectrum of like being, I was, I was kind of back into comics for a little while. I liked Wolverine a lot. Uh, this is 1981. Mm-hmm. And I really, I was very into pro wrestling. Uh, I was very, I got into D&D. I got into music. But it was really strange because I think we like to think of ourselves as being these certain kind of characters, right? And we sometimes, you know, lightly reread our history to, which I'm probably doing right now unintentionally. But like, you like to see yourself as this kind of person. And when you're with this group of people, you portray yourself as this kind of person, right? If you had one cassette with one punk rock song on it, you're like the biggest punk rocker in the world. And that's the way you like to portray yourself when you're talking to the punk rockers. And when I'm talking to the D&D guys, like, I don't, I mean, um, like the people who do, uh, you know, Total Party Kill, where they actually play real D&D yeah, yeah. on the internet, like they're, they're really living it. They're doing it. But like, you know, so if I'm talking to them, this is the kind of stuff I'll talk about. But, you know, the fascinating part when you really look at it is like I was just like a, a weird chubby kid who just had all these, you know, at the time seemingly disparate interests. But I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's, everybody's always trying to figure out who they are. No, I think it's it's an ongoing challenge. And I remember the same kind of thing of like getting into music and kind of get it going. going I used to have these little like interests where I would dive into them so deeply and like my whole world right now at age 11, there's, there's only really two, maybe three things that are important, throwing stars, tabby boots, and like the comics that I'm reading. Like that, that was like, you had time to sort of invent. And then like a month later, be like, well, I don't read comic books anymore. Those are stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, yeah. it would completely change to something else. And it's, I don't know if that was, has always been my challenge has always been finding something, you know, that, that, that's interesting enough. And I'm always, always so inspired by people who find something that they're interested in and then stick with it for so long and, and, and become such experts in an individual kind of focus. Because for me, I've always, had lots of different interests and I kind of dive into them and learn it and then take a little bit of a step back. But there's a lot of people who never really take that step back. You know, people who are Mm -hmm. like, like researched scientists who spend their careers researching, researching a certain kind of germ or virus or something like their whole career, their whole adult life until they retire is spent doing a certain kind of thing. Like my, my grandfather was a metallurgist and I mean, he had other interests but he went to work every day and, and did metallurgy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was like he was still fascinated by that. Uh, even even when he retired, still fascinated by it into his retirement years, still kept abreast of whatever was being researched and things. It was fascinating to him. And it, that's always something that I've admired because uh, with with very few exceptions, uh, you know, like – we make this with th- this joke a lot, uh, but like I can't get that into what Apple's doing anymore. Like it's not that interesting to me. But there are people. John Gruber's a good example. He he's absolutely fascinated by it and loves talking about it. He loves cares writing so about much it. Cares more so much about the price of the Apple Watch <laughs> than I could even pretend to care. That's right. 
But like they, and and I'm thankful and admire people like that because when the time comes for me to like get interested in the pricing of an Apple Watch. John has a 5,000 word piece on it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disparaging. There, there no, has you're not being. become a certain, it just seems like maybe there wasn't that much to talk about in the Apple world for a while that was positive or speculative. Yeah. And it's just, everybody's speculating now. And it's just, I guess for me, it's a weird time because as, as I sit here right now, I, it would be difficult for me to be less interested in what Apple's doing with cars. Yeah. And, I have a feeling I'm with Glenn Fleischman. I think in two years the Apple Watch will be pretty interesting. But right now it's it, it's it has less than zero interest to me. But I, I I admire the people who are you know doing what they enjoy and are doing it well. Here, here's one thing that's weird though. When you think about all those things you're talking about, whether it's when you say music, a certain kind of music, mm-hmm. like you may have gotten really into. And again, I, I think part of this comes from the. The culture being slightly more narrow when we were younger, we didn't have as much access to everything, or at least I didn't know I had access to everything like people know today. You didn't have Wikipedia. You didn't have, you did, you just didn't know the lyrics to some songs, full stop. There was no way to know them. You might have actually thought Jimi Hendrix was saying, excuse me while I kiss this guy. Like yeah. you, cause you didn't have anywhere to go look it up unless you went to Walden Books and looked at a book of lyrics. So, I mean, part of it was, I think, having less, having fewer options and having less awareness of the big range of what you could be interested in is part of it. So if somebody gave you an album, you might really get into that album. And and so forth. Here's the part that I find so perplexing, though, is I remember I remember being really into Tommy by the Who. I remember being really into playing D and D with my friends. I remember having uh, plywood in my backyard that I would throw throwing stars at. What I don't remember is when or why exactly each one stopped. You know what I mean? That, yeah. The funny part to me is I have such a clear recollection of like why, like, when, and how you got into it, but. What made it you out? I, yeah, get out I of can it. usually kind of remember how I started getting into it, and it has very much to do with who I was friends with or who was influential. With music, it was a lot of times older people, people who were older than I was, who were telling me about this thing I should listen to. Um, but with stuff like, you know, I mean, pro wrestling, because pro wrestling was on TV all the time, I guess. But like, I don't, what's interesting to me about almost all of those is I don't have a recollection of consciously stopping my interest in something or of being uh, overtly attracted from one thing to another, Mm. right? Where I might spend four hours this afternoon doing this one kind of thing. And then two months later, I'm not sure why or how or when I suddenly switched to spending four hours doing this other thing. But I do know that like to paraphrase Freud (laughs) via Annie Hall, we do have these latent (laughs) periods. Like I think we all go through times when, there's a thing that we're really into that we're just suddenly not as into for a while, whether that's the opposite sex or D and D or, or whatever. But it's strange because whenever I end up talking about this stuff with friends, I'll suddenly hit this wall of fog where I'll be like, I don't remember. I remember playing D and D a lot. And then I remember later on that I wasn't playing D and D, but I don't remember exactly why I stopped. And I don't think it was in almost any of those cases. It was never like a decision to say, I'm going to stop being into the who. (laughs) Yeah. It's strange, though. It's weird. Uh, And I guess that's just being young and, you know. I think it is being young because I remember, like, what you're talking about. Like, in, like, my junior and senior year of high school, there were two bands. There was was the police and there was Led Zeppelin. And and that's, that's it. That's all that existed. There were no other bands that were any good. Yeah, you know what? I'll listen to an ACDC song, maybe a Rush mm-hmm. song. You know what I mean? But like, 
I was immersed and had immersed myself into those two bands, not sitting there thinking, wow, I want to be Jimmy Page, although I did want to be Jimmy Page in, in the sense of like, I want to play guitar like Jimmy Page, but it wasn't so much like I want to be in a rock band traveling the world in a bus and, you know, like that. I didn't want that life or anything, but like for me, it was like that music for whatever reason spoke to me. And there's that joke. There's that thing that like, you know, I think uh, there is a, a Simpsons episode where Homer's like, you know, the music peaked at whatever. And, and that whatever year is whenever it was that you were really into it. And like people will often, ah, music's no good anymore. Nothing good yeah. anymore. I don't feel that way. I feel like there's a lot of really great music that, that comes out now. But there are still plenty of songs. When I hear them, I'm like, well, yeah, that's when music was like really good. And of course, mm-hmm. that's the time period that I came up listening to that music in. Oh, absolutely. There was um, there's a great website. I, hmm, I, don't, I couldn't put my hand to it right now. There's a great website somebody put out probably 10 years ago now where uh, it was talking to people. We've, we've, we've mentioned this before, I think, but talking to people who have a certain kind of specific trade, mm. whether you're a customer support person or whatever, and asking them what their best like secret surprising tip is about how they do their job. The classic example is the customer service rep who asks you to blow the dust out of the prongs on, on the electric plug. <laughs> yeah which is a nice way of making sure that it's plugged in. <laughs> Great. Another one was, you know, you don't see this much anymore, but you remember every mall used to have uh, those places where you could go in and buy like an, an organ, like Yamaha right. yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah, store. Yeah. There'd always be some guy out front playing the organ, demonstrating it. And I guess it must have worked. People must have gone in and bought them. But somebody who did that for a living, an organ demonstrator, their greatest tip was when somebody came up and seemed kind of interested suss out how old they are and start playing a song that was popular when they were in high school. And it's such a brilliant idea. <laughs> like if you want to, you know, if you want to, if you want to get to somebody, get to them through who they used to be. Yeah. You know, don't that's, start that's playing, shake with, it off. Yeah. You, you might want instead, you might want to play message in a bottle or something. But that's what they do with, with commercials. All of a sudden I'm hearing like, wait, was that Depeche Mode in a commercial you know like wait a minute who i wonder who they're trying to appeal to you know yeah and right 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 it, it's it's you know it's funny because you hear music or something like that and it really does take you back to that time period i was talking to somebody uh on uh on, on the phone uh last i guess it was last week and uh it turned out that she had actually uh lived in the same part of South Florida that I lived in at pretty much the same exact time. And we were talking and it turned out that like I had gone to summer school at the same place as she had gone to school and summer school and I had flunked geometry and she had flunked geometry and she had Action Jackson who was Mrs. Jackson, the, the teacher for geometry in summer school. And I had had Action Jackson as the teacher. You know, it was like, it was like we missed each other by one year. Right. And she's naming, oh, did you ever go to, you know, did you ever go to 40th Street? I'm like, that that was like the main sort of cool part of the beach. I'm like, yes, I haven't heard the term 40th Street since probably 1990, you know, but like it brought back all of these strange memories. And this has made me think, I know I'm kind of doing a segue, but it's something I just want to throw out there when we talk about, we reminisce, I think, a lot on this show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, last night. 
I was I was late because we were doing post production on my my brand new show, and I was late getting home. And my kids would not, you know, they don't. I, I hate missing bedtime, so they they were sort of up and waiting. And my wife had agreed that she would take my my son is now into making his own sort of custom uh, Lego minifigures. That's like his pastime, and he had made one that was really cool that had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Uh, what's the name of the aliens in that? The chat room helped me out it's the the something with a k but anyway he had used one of them as a head so it was really cool and she had agreed to see he has this thing where he wants to bring them upstairs into his room he'll bring a toy upstairs into his room that dad can you when we're done reading can you please take it downstairs and put it away for me finally i had to just say no i did you know there's a line in the sand across which you do not mm-hmm. and i was like no i'm not doing this anymore but she had agreed to do that the krang thank you uh Ziering. And, uh, and, and she'd agreed to take this down. So this morning she goes downstairs and, uh, the kids wake up and uh, he's like, mom, where's the thing you said you're going to bring down? She's like, I know that I brought it down and I set it downstairs right next to your glasses right here on the counter. And it's not there. She knew as a matter of fact that she had brought it downstairs last night and set it down right next to his glasses on the counter in a place that. Our little one, three-year-old, cannot reach. So it had to be there. But she was asking me, like, do you know what happened to it? I'm like, no, I don't know. And she's like, I remember doing it. I said, memory is a very, very fallible thing. I remember stuff that it turns out wasn't real and didn't happen. Well, it turns out she had brought it downstairs. And for some reason, because she was so tired from having to do their bedtime and, and get them down and everything, she had put it in MJ's dollhouse. What? MJ found it in the dollhouse. She's like, is this the Lego you're looking for? Well, why did she do that? She was so tired, but she completely forgot it. And the memory that she created was not the same memory. And now I'm beginning to think, and I, by the way, I do that a hundred times a day. So she's not alone in this, but it's like, have you ever experienced that where you think you did something? You could swear, swear you did it. You have a memory of doing it. And yet it, you didn't do it or you did something else. And like, mm-hmm. I, like, where do we store these memories? This memory I have of 40th Street that I haven't heard in, in 20 years. Like, that's all there. And it unlocked a ton of other memories. Like, where, how, what are we able to remember? You know, yeah, like what, they, were, they were sitting there in, in this little Tupperware dish. Yes. And all, all you need to do was like kind of burp the lid and out came all these memories <laughs> that's exactly that were right. preserved in situ. It's yeah. weird. How do we do that as as beings? I was reading this this crazy article. I wish I, I could find it because I know you'd, you'd really enjoy it. That's talking about sort of artificial intelligence and the progression of artificial intelligence and where we are now and when we'll reach the singularity and all of these other things. And, you know, they're talking about how we might one day augment ourselves and, and why uh, – why artificial intelligence would be in so many ways better than people. It's not because it can think faster than us, but it can think about things in ways that we can't even imagine. And it would have perfect total recall. And, uh, and there was that episode of uh, black mirror where the, you can kind of get recall, perfect recall and re- you can re- like replay your memory. Yeah. That's just memory is such a fascinating thing because you know, you, you trust yourself. You remember doing something or saying something, and then someone else can be like, "I was there." That's not what happened. Oh, it's it's all uh, incredibly suspicious, and you know, in some ways, I feel like I'm better about it now, merely because I acknowledge how bad I am at it. I think when I was a more dangerous person was when I thought I actually could remember things. But I, I'm, you know, as as kind of messy as I am in tons of things, in order to maintain my sanity there's certain things I have to do because I, 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 
otherwise I'll, I'll go crazy. And so one of those things is I have a dish because I'm an old man. Right. I have a dish where as soon as I get home, <laughs> I put my wallet and yep. my keys and my pen and my earbuds in this dish. And that's the only place they ever, ever, ever go. Because the thing is, if they're not in that dish, they could be literally anywhere. Because I will do that. I would I'd put a Lego figure in a dollhouse. I don't know why. I'm sure I would. It's it's you know it's kind of bad with my wife because she changes bags you know if she's going to run one day she oh, has right. this backpack and it's the worst for her we're like now we we have no idea where the garage remote is or suddenly you know things will just disappear for a week because and I, I don't know I think everybody's pretty bad at that it's just that as you get older you are having uh, less indelible short term memory things. You know, and again, also, I mean, every day I woke up today and I was like, oh, it's Tuesday. It's time to do the show. It's Tuesday again. It's always Tuesday again. <laughs> it's like it, it all becomes like this kind of like all I notice is that my daughter's clothes are getting smaller. But apart from that, it's kind of the same thing, you know, a lot of days. So I, but but I, I, I do know what you're talking about. I had a, I had a similar thing a couple of weeks ago where I found myself, uh, I don't know how I got into this on Twitter, but I found myself reminiscing with some other people who grew up around my time in Cincinnati. And I suddenly had all these incredibly specific memories of this one mall, which was like the mall that we went to. And, you know, it was such a touchstone for me because it's where we went to Johnny Bench's restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's like where I first rode my bike somewhere far away. It's where it was where I got my haircut. It's where I would go to the like the goofy head shop to buy posters and stuff like that. It was uh, but, and it's and I, I had I felt like and again, I don't want to say I know for sure because memory is such a weird thing, but I had such specificity. I mean, I remember the layout of the mall. I remember what the bricks looked like. I remembered exactly where the Kiwanis haunted house was. Mm -hmm. Like I, I remembered all, it's so strange. And it, it really was like they'd been sitting in some kind of a little bell jar just waiting to be opened up. But, you know, if I'm not careful, I have absolutely no idea where my keys are. Yeah, I don't understand that. And like, I wish I could, it's not like I, I, I want to reallocate and remove those older memories, but I feel like it, and it's not, it's not something that I'm feeling happens to me more at, at my age now than it did 10 years ago. I, I just feel like there's more to remember for me as a parent, as a, a trying to do, you know, run, run a business and mm -hmm. take kids to school. And because now you're remembering things on behalf of your children, too. You're trying to remember things not just for yourself of like, well, I know where I put my keys because there is one dresser in my house. Mm -hmm. You know, and I put them there and a three-year-old won't come along and take them. You know, like I have three sets of, of earbuds because my three-year-old will take them. She'll find them. She'll, she's a thief. She will take them and then she'll, she'll do th like I have my, my guitar amp is up in the, in the back corner of the master bedroom. She will take my headphones, uh, you know, the, the iPhone ones and she will wrap them around the handle of the uh, amp of the guitar amp Ew. and stick them, you know, like the cable go into the, the input for the, for the guitar jack oh. and she'll put them in there. And I'm like, what are you doing, sweetie? She's like, I'm doing some work. She calls that doing work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know why. And she doesn't, I'm like, please, please don't do that to them because I, I need these. This is, you know, I, I, please don't do that. And she'll I need say, this for my work. Yeah. And she'll say, I won't do that anymore. And then it'll stop for a few weeks and she'll do it again. And it's like, Little things like that, like that just, that's one extra little detail of oh like. Oh my God, it's, it screws up the entire system. Right. Yeah. I, well, our daughter also likes to gift wrap things, uh, <laughs> just random objects. She'll just get paper and gift wrap things. And sometimes it's a gift that she wants us to give her. And sometimes it's something she gives to us. But a lot of times it's just stuff around our house wrapped up in old grocery bags. And so, but, but this is, 
and, and this is where my brain really starts to, to crumble because, you know, y- there are certain objects that we interact with several times a day that we can never find. Yeah. The hairbrush. It seems very simple. When we use the hairbrush, we put the hairbrush back here. That way we know where the hairbrush is. It's kind of a system. And, but that's not how it works. And then one day we discovered that the hairbrush had been gift wrapped a couple days earlier and she'd just forgotten it. Mm-hmm. Or she'd packed for one of her many trips and some kind of critical piece of infrastructure for the house was, was in a bag inside of a bag inside of a bag you know, <laughs> in, in the closet. And yeah. she just said, spaced it. Um, can I make a recommendation? Yeah. Um, I forget how I discovered this. I want to say probably just recommended on Netflix, but I, I can't believe I never knew about the show. Have you ever seen this 2011 National Geographic show called Brain Games? Yeah, Brain Games. Wow. I can't believe I never saw this. Uh, narrated by Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Uh, very, very family friendly. I mean, I would almost say it's kind of four kids. Four kids, yeah. Uh, we've watched two episodes of it, and I think it's really, really good. And it's about, well, the first one was about perception, basically about optical illusions and how your brain fools you. Mm-hmm. And the entire family was completely engrossed. I mean, the is that the one that has like, the, the, the uh, gorilla costume guy walking in through? That's the, the second one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The first one is like, are these two squares the same color? Well, obviously they're not, but then you discover that they are and you see how your brain tricks you. But the one we watched last night was, uh, we cheated a little bit and watched TV last night, but we, uh, it was called pay attention pay attention and it was it was totally engrossing to me because i find attention amazing mm-hmm. and so i'm thinking about the entire time you're talking about this is like how incredibly messed up our attention is and uh well really it's two things so i wanted to talk about that but also just to recommend that if you're looking for a, a show with kids that is you know i hate to say educational but where you learn stuff and it's not annoying like it's really really good and the attention one was great because you're so fooled so many times um what's that what's that pickpocket i like apollo oh yeah apollo creed yeah. is that his name yeah. you know the guy apollo the creed. Guy. that's that's who he is Pay attention. that's who he is this is an exhibition they do um but they do all kinds of like every everybody probably saw that video a few years ago we have to count how many times the basketball gets passed between mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. did, you, did you do that video a few years ago i did and did you see it? I, I did not see it the first time. I didn't time. see it either. And it's that made me so angry because Oh, I know. It's like how I'm not the kind of person who misses something like in my mind, right? I'm not the kind of person who misses stuff like that. I'm an observant person. I noticed stuff like that. Totally missed it. Yeah, uh and I guess we can spoil this maybe. Yeah, spoil hmm. it. Well, there was a video that I think it might have been by the well, same yeah, person. I don't want to spoil it, though. Let's not spoil it. But basically, the, the idea is that in a nut, well, if you listen to junk like this show, you know that we think that attention can be a very tricky thing. To have the executive function to focus on this thing and unfocus on all these 10,000 other things is much more difficult in practice than it sounds, especially given many conditions, um, which, of course, we could talk about for mm-hmm. 209 episodes. Mm-hmm. But I, it's, it's very, even if you think you know what you want to do sometimes, it's extremely difficult to uh, narrow your narrow your attention to just doing this this one thing. And in this case, they're just talking about like, essentially like neurologically, uh, it's a bunch of stuff you might have seen already before. Things like when you're asked the, the, the kind of the tentpole tricks in this show, and they do lots of demonstrations to show you. It's really entertaining. But one of these, one of the tentpole attention things is when you tell people what's going to happen in something and you ask them to pay very close attention to one aspect of what they're watching. Um, let's just say 
it will blow your mind how much stuff you don't see yeah. while you're trying to pay attention to one thing. And that could be watching how this pickpocket guy pickpockets. It right. could be trying to just focus on how many times you see David Copperfield's pay, face. Right. You have to count those things. <laughs> but, um, but, but no, so, you're right. It, because what we, what we train ourselves to do is to focus on something and to eliminate those distractions. And I think that, you know, it's it, it back to sort of the comic world is that people who are telepaths, the challenge isn't or, or like Superman when he's a kid, you know, you're learning to tune out this extra input, this can occasionally overwhelming kind of input of reading everybody's thoughts. And I don't want to read anybody's thoughts. I just want some quiet, you know. And I feel like that's what, as we become an adult, that's what we do. There was an amazing, I'm pretty sure it was a radio lab that uh, back in the old days of, of radio lab where they were talking about our perception of time and how whenever you hear somebody who describes some event, usually an accident or something that's happening like that, that they say, time stopped or time slowed down. And I remember all of these thoughts that I was, you know, I think the person in in the episode of Radiolab had fallen or something like that. And they remembered everything that happened in super slow motion. They're like, well, if I adjust my right shoulder Maybe I could get my hand over here and I could sort of break the fall like that. That's all happening within like two seconds. Yeah, or less. You know, it's a split second thing. But in their mind, it's happening at this super slow pace where they're making decisions and thinking and having little mental conversations. And they notice, I noticed the light was shining through the window in just such a way. And I saw there was a feather from a bird over, you know, like all these little observations that they're making in a split second. But we're not doing that all the time because our brains are operating in a different way. And they also (laughs) talked about how time, not just our perception of time, but there's almost like a bubble of time in a certain in in the place that you're in, whether it's your home or your office, and they even did this in in a city. They timed things, and and people's perceptions of times move faster or slower based on where they are. So when you're oh, like, I, oh, I totally get that. I went to when, the when island, I'm on the street. And, time seems to move really quickly, right? Like I'm like, I don't remember that person being that far into the crosswalk, and then <laughs> right. there they are. Yeah. yeah, and like that's why when you go to an island and it feels like you're there for a million years, your perception of time actually does change it's a malleable thing you know well did you ever notice this one i remember notice, starting to notice this one even when i was a little kid but let's say you've got a car ride somewhere you've never been before yeah and it's gonna be like a pretty long car ride like a two hour three yes, hour car i know ride. what you're talking about so the trip there feels like it takes a million years because you've never seen any of the landmarks three hours is a very long time for a little kid to have to do anything so it feels like it takes a an, an almost eternal amount of time to get there but then coming home seems so much faster and i think part of it i mean is that so what you were thinking that's exactly what i was thinking and it, it, it still happens to me as an adult but way oh, it happens more to me all the time as a kid yeah yeah, yeah, I think it's amazing, but that's why this, I don't know, um, I'm not sure where we're going with this, but that, the, the, the attention episode in particular really grabbed me because I think it does, it does highlight a lot of, well, one thing they do, one thing they do that it was a fantastic demonstration is, I'm not sure how they chose this particular guy, but there's this one guy who's a regular civilian who considers himself to be a really good multitasker and they put him to the test. He's, he, he's this guy who's like always talking on the phone while he's driving. He drives with his knees so he can text. Right. He does all these things at the same time. And, and like a lot of people, he has developed this idea that he's great at multitasking and has convinced the people around him that he is too. And then they put him on this course, driving a car 
Oh. He has to drive a car <laughs> right. while somebody in the car in front of him throws obstacles at him that he has to drive around. <laughs> and he has to, over his headphones, uh, answer questions. He has to basically they ask him questions about his life. And eventually they're asking him math questions and stuff. And then, so now he has to, or in another demonstration, he has to drive a car, avoiding obstacles, answering math questions, while also intermittently <laughs> being expected to remember a, a noun right. and be able to repeat it back in order. And so at any point, he might have to avoid an obstacle or answer a math problem or read back from his memory what these words were in order. And uh, to spoil the ending for you, he's pretty terrible at it. He ends up being actually very average at it. He thought that he was in this like 2% of people who could actually do this. Mm. And it, it turned out that, that he wasn't. And it's, it's horrifying. I mean, because, again, with our attention, we can only, as this little, as this one boffin guy says in this, we really can only focus on one thing at a time. And the more we focus on that one thing, the less breadth of information we take in. So I think that's, and when it comes to things like productivity, I think that's very interesting Yeah, because uh, you, and it's an attention deficit issue, I guess in some ways, is you can find yourself getting so involved in this one thing that you lose your peripheral vis- vision. You might lose track of time and consequently other stuff that you maybe should be paying attention to or working on. So it takes this almost like meditative meta layer of consciousness to figure out whether you're thinking about the right thing at a given time. So oh, all totally. I'll say is if you got the Netflix, go watch this because if you think you're great at this stuff, it's going to blow your mind how much stuff now, now you've been warned a little bit. So you'd be watching out. But I mean, I, I consist, I think of myself as like, Oh, I got okay attention. But then I watch something like that and I'm like, no, no, no. Yo, I think as, as a species, the way that we've evolved is, is, to not, and we're not necessarily designed to be creatures that multitask the way that I'm not saying it's bad that we do or wrong that we do, but it's just, it's not really something that we've, if you know, we're not chameleons with two eyes going in different directions at the same time. We're meant to kind of look at one thing and do one thing and focus on, on one thing. And if you think about the days before computers, TV, radio, you know, people had, even if you were working hard on your farm or raising your animals or out hunting or whatever people, you know, who who don't have any technology do, there is a lot of time during those activities of sort of that that zone you get into when you're doing manual work and your brain and your body are kind of working together doing something that is relatively thoughtless, you know, like stacking hay, for example, you're not spending a lot of time or if you're just on a very long walk or you're on a hunt or you're, you know, tending a crop or something like that. The times in my life when I've engaged in those kind of physical activities, usually they were in my backyard while, uh, you know, we were digging something for hours or putting fence posts in or something like that, where you find that there's this unity between the body and mind that gives you this sort of quiet and peaceful state of mind where you can just think and focus on something and and your thing even just mowing the lawn you know where you're with your thoughts in a different kind of a way where mm-hmm. there there can't because at least for me, if I have an opportunity to distract myself from something or do a couple things at once, I find I'll gravitate toward that. Oh, well, we're watching this TV. Yeah, I'll just I'll check my phone or I'll have the iPad out or maybe the computer. I'll just do a little code or whatever it is. I just want to post that one episode. And, you know, you find that you gravitate toward that. We've talked about that a lot. But I feel like the natural state for a person is to have a whole lot of time on their hands to think about stuff or to just not be distracted by lots of of different things and the more screens we have you know the more distracted we become right. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think there's actually a lot of people talking about this these days. I've seen a lot of articles lately about people talking about the benefits of, of boredom. I mean, one thing it makes me think of is like, you know, how I'm such a nerd about trying to get good sleep. I mean, I think sleep, I, I mean, I've read things that say sleep is important because that's when a lot of your activity of the day gets sorted out and kind of filed. And it's where we start deriving a lot of meaning out of what, what has been happening in our lives is when we're, when you're, when you're able to get into a certain kind of regular sleep. Right. And I, I really wonder though, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't like to sound like a turns out guy, but I do really think about the same issues when it comes to like how we spend our day and the way that again, the habits and habituation uh, guide us down these certain paths. So this it's, it's becoming very natural or almost automatic for me. The second I don't have to be doing something, whether I'm like playing with my kid or sitting around the house, I suddenly just, I pull up my iPhone and look at it. And there's not anything I'm, I'm necessarily specifically doing. It's more like I turn it on and go, what will amuse me like for a minute or mm-hmm. two? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it doesn't feel very wholesome to me. Because when you talked about like, you know, whatever, doing something kind of a mindless activity, I think about taking a shower because taking showers is when like a lot of like what feel like good ideas come to me, you know, it's a time that I'm not supposed to be doing something else. It feels very creative to me. No, it really does. And it's, it's funny because I'll have tons of ideas in there. And of course you don't have anything to write them down with. Sure you do. You get some aqua notes. You gotta get aqua notes. Do you know about aqua notes? You you told me about aqua notes and I never, I never got them. Do you use Uh, the aqua notes a lot? Oh yeah. 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 I'll put it, I'll put it in show notes. Yeah. It's just basically this kind of like, um, you told uh, me about these and I I was like, Oh, I'm going to get them. I'm going to actually put it in order right now. Okay, good. I got to tell you about a couple things we like. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear, I want to hear what you like. I would like to tell you about Squarespace, if I may. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store. It's, I don't know what to say about Squarespace. These guys are, are the best. They're creating software that we, uh, we used to dream about. Simple stuff, powerful, beautiful, 24-7 support via live chat and email. It's eight bucks a month. Imagine if you went back in time, if you rolled back the clock, Five years, four, three years even, but 10 years, forget it. And told someone you'd be able to make a beautiful website, pick from dozens of amazing templates. It would look beautiful in every single web browser, whether it was on uh, your computer, your Mac, your PC, Android, iOS, and have it just work and just look good. And you could get in there and change your content just by typing, clicking, dragging. Like, that's crazy, right? But this is what it is. And they've, the new version of Squarespace, if you haven't seen Squarespace for a little while, go make a free account and check out their, their interface. Check out the console. Check out the way that you jump in and out of editing now. It's all seamless. It's all just, it's a myth. I don't know. I don't know why you people aren't all using it. Every, pretty much every website that you want to make, you can do with Squarespace. It's beautiful. They've got cover pages now which are like these really cool landing pages that make it just so simple to have one-page websites. you got commerce. Every website comes with free online store built in. And you can start your trial. There's no credit card. You just get in there and start building a site. Oh, you, you've got your content in something else? you got another application, another, uh, another platform. You want to import the content? It'll import the content from pretty much all the major platforms out there. It's amazing. And then you're going to go change the design later. You don't disrupt the current site that everyone else sees. You can tweak your design online without anyone seeing it until you're ready. All this stuff just built in. 
So you go to squarespace.com slash back to work, spelled out this time, squarespace.com slash back to work. And if you use the code, it's your show, all one word, it's your show. It's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. It will also show your support for this program here. So again, that's uh, squarespace.com slash back to work. It's your show. Thank you very much to Squarespace for supporting this amazing episode of Back to Work with Merlin Man. Apollo Robbins. Uh, I just put an Apollo Robbins video in notes, and it's there's a bunch of great Apollo Robbins. He, he's the master pickpocket. But the, one, the reason I like this particular video I put in is he goes into more detail than usual about how he misdirects while he's picking your pocket. I mean, oh. the, the whole thrust of it is he, he is amazing at misdirecting your attention. So getting you to pay a lot of attention to, to something happening over here means he can set up stealing something over here, then directing your attention to here. So stuff like he can get your wallet out of your inside jacket pocket and be pressing it against your chest. And then when he taps you on the shoulder over here, he lets go of the wallet. Mm-hmm. He catches it. <laughs> and is able to like put it behind his back after that. It's crazy. And even when you know, I've seen, I've seen a, probably a dozen videos of this guy and it never stops amazing me. But he also shows you how he does stuff like these misdirections where like he can pass, he knows exactly how to pass his hand across like your hip pocket mm-hmm. so that you're paying attention to that. Like your attention, you know what I mean? Yeah. He can move his body in such a way. He knows exactly where to focus your attention so you're not looking at this other thing. He takes a scarf off this guy while, and while he's like talking to him, I didn't even notice it. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, television, television, TV. Yeah, two hours a day, no more. Mm. Yep. Let's see. So attention. What else we got today? And tell about the new show. Oh yeah, tell me about the new show. You really want to hear about it? Because I don't want to pollute. I want our listeners to hear about the streams. It. I'm uh, only one person. I'm just one man, Dan. But okay. tell our listeners what you're doing. Well, for a long time there was a show that I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I tried to kind kind of tried to do this back in like, oh, nine, where I had this idea because I love like you, I love talk radio. And to me, the, the kind of podcasts that I mostly do are in that sort of talk radio kind of space. But I find that as much as I love podcasts in, in the sense of uh, podcast being a pro, pro, produced thing, a, a creation like a TV show or a movie or an album in a way that's something that you, you know, you go and you record, you get your content, which is people talking, and then you assemble that into a show and you put things around it and you, you craft something and you release this thing that you've crafted. That's sort of the, the one type of podcasting. Uh, then there's the other type, which is the kind that I, that I think we do more of, which is a bunch of people, you know, talking with different segments and a thing. And it's more like talk radio. I love talk radio. You know, and so I've I've realized when I first started five by five, I had like two or three shows that I did. One was the interview show, which you, you were on. And then there was the other show with the conversation. You were on an episode of that with Jeff Veen at People Love. And, you know, for me, that was like that was kind of the thing that I wanted to do. But as I started doing more shows, I was doing a lot more of these sort of one on one kind of shows. And I sort of lost that talk radio show that I had always wanted to do growing up and going into, into college and saying one day I want, you know, like a talk show that I get to do that's, that's like talk radio, but about the kinds of stuff that we as geeks enjoy talking about. Not a news show. You know, we're not like, these are the top five stories of the day. Let's go through them. And no, enough shows do that and they do it probably better than I could. But I like, there's topics that, 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 that are interesting to me that do come up 
in the news, but I want them to be more of a conversation and I've wanted to have really great guests and I wanted to have them here in the studio when possible. And I wanted to do it with video. When I first started, I did video and I stopped because it was way out of my element. So I had a lot to learn. And so this show is kind of the culmination of all the different shows that I've been doing and what I've learned in in doing those shows uh, kind of together in in a like one hour format. And I'm going to, I'm starting doing it three days a week and I hope to work up to doing it five days a week, but I want it to sort of be my show. And I don't really have, or I haven't for a while had a show that I felt like my show. This is our show together. Obviously your show, but it's our show together. But I've really wanted a show that was mine. That was something that I could do the way that, that I really wanted to do and bring guests on and, and have fun segments and a lot of audience stuff. So that's what I've been working on for like the last year. And we just uh, launched the first episode of it uh, yesterday. So that's, well, congratulations. That's Thanks. That took you a year? took me a year to get everything right. Because there was so much experimentation that I wanted to do. I wanted to really nail a format down and get segments. I wanted – there was so much that I had to learn about uh, doing that kind of thing, about setting up an an in-studio environment, learning so much about video because I really, really want to do video. It's not a video show in the sense of like it's not you know ESPN with people sitting at a desk looking at the camera, but – the shows that I find that I really enjoy, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, not like Night Attack that Brian Brushwood does where he's got – he's got a – that is a video show as much as it is a podcast, you know. And I, I love that. I love watching, you know, the Rich Eisen show or Dan Patrick show or anytime Howard Stern does stuff with video. Like for me, it's that behind-the-scenes kind of thing where there's cameras that are showing like this is what it's like to do a show. And these are the – and of course the stuff Leo does. Uh, it – to me, that adds this other really cool dimension that the audience, I think, can can really enjoy. So it's pushing the limits. It's trying to do something new. And, and for me, there was so much that I had to learn, and there's still so much I have to learn. But, you know, investing the time, and because I'm doing all this other stuff, you know, I might only have an hour or two a week to put into it to go and, you know, I want to try that. Or I want to learn about cameras. Mm-hmm. I want to learn how they work. Or what do we need to do the video switching? Or how do we do lower thirds? And each of these things was a project that I wanted to learn and experiment with. So, yeah, it's been a, a long time to get to this point for me. I, I guess I move slow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And you're going to do it three days a week to start. To start with three days a week. I've got a trip next week that I'm doing. And then after that, I uh, hope to move to, to do an, an, an hour a day every day. Man, sounds good. But we're going to break it out because not everybody has like an hour a day. So if we do like an interview segment, we'll release that in like a separate interviews feed. So if you just want to hear the 10 minute interview, that's all you have time for in a day. Well, you know, you can do that. And we might even assemble those into other shows and we'll see. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's something I've always wanted to do. Well, good for you. Congratulations. Thanks. That's a good thing. Shows are good. Should we put a link? Could I put a link to it? Would that be all right? Yes, yes, Dan. Yes, Dan. Um, and I just put a link on the Twitter to um, that Apollo Robbins video. That's such a good video. Yeah, this one in particular is the most detailed uh, that I think I've seen him do to, to like show how he, you know, on the one he like there's that famous Today Show segment we've watched where he shows how he like takes off your watch and you don't realize it. But this is the most detailed I've seen where like you really see the deep mojo of uh, misdirection. I think it's fascinating. Um, you know, something I, I need to update this page, but something uh, kind of a last minute thing I keep forgetting to mention. We're going to do our seventh ungainly X Men meetup uh, this Thursday. Awesome. At Two Cats Comics on West Portal Avenue. And uh, I'll update this page to have a link in show notes. But all you need to know is to show up Two Cats Comics at 7 o'clock on Thursday. 
And so that's Thursday, the, wow, the 26th of February. Crazy, Hi, isn't it? Caramba. I know it. So, uh, I so think we ought to start, like, like, we ought to start these things around, like, you should take this on tour and yeah. do it and go to different cities. And then when you're in that city, you, like, start a local, a local group that even though you're not necessarily there, that it still happens, like, in, in tribute to you, in your honor. In my honor. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like a branded barn, like, barn raising. Like a local fight club. Like a local fight club, sure. Um, except it would be better than that movie. I could do that. I could do that. I should watch that again. It's not a bad movie. I don't know why you're so it's down not, on it. It's not really that good. Um, <laughs> it's, I think it's a good movie. I know you do. I know I you read do. the book. Did you read the book? No, I don't really read books so no. much. Chuck, 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 His name sounds like a typo. Um... You know what's kind of neat? There's what? a as long as we're just talking about stuff. Yeah. Uh, another thing I've been watching more watching Netflix lately uh, a lot, and uh, there's a pretty neat documentary hosted by Keanu Reeves about uh, digital versus you know emulsion film. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting about like how people stand on that and like what you can do with it and who likes which and who's trying to preserve the other. And uh, oh. I thought it was very interesting, especially the history of shooting films on video, uh, like the Lars von Trier. Was it called Dogma Ninety Five? I think was the name of his group. And how they started shooting films on video and how controversial that was. And now, like, the cinematographer from those movies is, like, this greatly sought-after guy. Oh, no very kidding. interesting. I'll put that in notes. Yeah. I don't have too much of uh, substance to talk about today. 5by5.tv slash B, as in brothers, 2 is in the number, W is in walrus, slash 209 for those notes that we're talking about. Yep. So, uh, you know, the thing's driving me nuts, Dan. I feel like... Last week when I was uh, delirious, we started to talk about yeah. something, and I can't remember what it was. I, I tried to, to get back into the show, and I was playing it before we started this one, but I didn't get to the point where we sort of wanted to book, bookmark it, booknote it. Yeah, you got to put it up. the chat room, remember? The chat room's pretty helpful. That's the chat room what they want to know. What do they want to hear about? What do they want to hear about? Whatever they want. It's just, it's open open lines. Is the caller there? <laughs> hmm? That's <laughs> right. We don't have callers. No. I keep forgetting. We do sometimes. Yeah. Um, are you, but you're better. I mean, you sound like you're with it. I, there were a number of people who commented to me privately about, uh, about the show last week. And, uh, and, and one of the people said it was weird. It was like listening to Merlin at regular human speed. That's funny. And so they said that another person was upset that I didn't. It's nice when people treat you like you're not really a person. That's funny. Remove all the little sniffles from Mm -hmm. the the show. They wanted me to do that. And I, I didn't. And I said, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's great. That makes me feel good. Um, I'm just as God made me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this twisted old fruit. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think you know, that that it's for me getting sick like that and being completely just out of it. You were way more productive and alert and alive than I was when I got sick, and I think it's because of your sleep habits being better. Than mine. I don't ever seem to be able to get enough sleep, and it's my own fault. But it's amazing the difference that you have when you feel when you get a good night's sleep, and and the different perspective that you have. And um, and for me, like not drinking coffee, I'm still having. I had one cup of coffee since I got since I got sick. That's it. I've only had That's one. That's it. Just that one? Just the one. And it's been how many weeks now? Four weeks? Three, sure. four weeks? That's crazy. I'm drinking tea. I just drink tea like an old woman. 
I don't understand. My gosh, how are you so lucid? It's really weird. And time moves differently. Speaking of time. Mm. And I was, I really have wanted to, to test it. So when I had the coffee, I drank the coffee and, you know, like I felt, I felt the caffeine. It felt great. I felt really, really good when I had it. And I definitely felt more awake and more alert, but I also noticed that I felt a little more rushed, mm-hmm. a little more in a hurry. Things felt like they were taking too long. And now I drink the tea like an old woman. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've got all day to get stuff done now. I'm not in a rush, really. I can, you do know, you need, well, do you here, need a point? You could touch your cats. I'm here five minutes earlier. I've got time. Yeah, I may just, I may just look out the window for a couple minutes. Wow, this could be interesting. Uh, so that, that this could be a change for a while. You're going to try this. I want while I want. I find that I want coffee and I won't. Like if someone said, oh, I made a pot of coffee. Would you like some? I would probably have some. But mm-hmm. it's not like I've moved away from that craving. But I notice in the morning when I have it, like I'm. it's become such a habitual ritual for me to be like, wake up, have coffee and all of that. And now I find it when I wake up, I, I, the I still want some kind of caffeine and a hot beverage, but I'm more lucid earlier before, whereas before I would wake up and immediately I'd be like, oh, I need, I, I need coffee. Don't talk. Don't even talk to me. Get mm-hmm. out, get away from me. That's be- the addiction or that's yeah. the habituation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to follow that uh, school of thought that says you don't really need coffee when you first wake up. Like you think you do because now you're drinking a lot of coffee, but that... I think it's cortisol, that there's a lot of cortisol and kind of that stress hormone in the morning that yeah. can get you going. Yeah. And I've, I've been trying to start just a little bit later than I used to. Because it used to be, I mean, gosh, it used to be that I would just, you know, uh, I would have it timed to like have the coffee made before I was even out of bed. But oh, yeah, do, no, I uh, had that too. I loved that. That was the most empowering thing. You feel like a, a god. You, mm-hmm. walk, you walk out into the kitchen. There's a pot of coffee just finishing as you pad across the floor and get your mug. It's like this is this – is, that's the future to me. It's not the nest or a self-driving car. It's something knows when you're almost conscious and starts coffee for you like that. That's the kind of AI I oh, want. Oh, yeah, and we can hear the beeping while yeah. you're still in bed. Oh, man. Beep, beep. Ooh, the coffee's ready. I can get up now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that, you know, is really, really nice. You're on the AeroPress now, though, right? I do the AeroPress for um, espresso, but I usually just do a little uh, one-hitter, we call it, with one of those little uh, Melita filters. Oh, yeah. Just do a one-hitter. A mm-hmm. one-hitter. You just we'll do a pour-over. Over. You just call it a pour-over, and I, you know, uh, you know stir it around. Real artisanal, real small batch. I like that. Are you self grinding? No, I don't self grind. No, that's that's. I, you know, I do you roast. I, yeah, yeah, I roast, but I don't grind. I used to roast and grind. Yeah, I know. It's I craziness. Know. Why was I doing that? I um, I'm I'm shocked by that. By the by, how important roasting and grinding, especially grinding, used to be. Like that was important. And it's not that I looked down on people who didn't do it at the time, but I felt like they were just, they were, they were missing out. They didn't get it. They didn't know, you know, they, they, yeah, they had half the taste buds. I, I mean, did. you've talked before about how like you never want to become so much of a coffee person that you can't enjoy just regular coffee, yeah. you said in the past, but I don't know. I feel like there's certain kinds of things where there, there are a few things that make a giant difference. And then a lot of things that can make a difference. 
But I mean, I think having clean equipment and fresh cold water is probably one of the best things you can do. Yeah. And if you do that, that actually covers a fair amount. Like keeping your coffee equipment clean, I think is a is a good idea. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I go through phases, but uh, I uh, yeah, I do the AeroPress for for an espresso. Yeah. This is this is fascinating stuff. I know this is what people are are tuning in for. Did the chat room have want us to talk about anything? They never uh, had any suggestions. No RSVP. No, they're very there's you know people in there, but they don't uh, they don't have any suggestions. Let me do they're our second spot. Jiving. I'll give them a jiving, making up making up titles. By the time that I'm done with this second spot, yeah, I I hope that uh, I hope that there's a suggestion there. Our second spot is fresh books. These guys are so 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 awesome. You know, a lot of us like the idea of managing our own time, being our own boss. But you know what? There's a lot of paperwork that's involved, even just in doing a freelance project. Oh, you get a speaking gig? Great, you get an invoice, you know, for that. Or if you're actually billing and keeping track of your time, if you're a company that makes lots of uh, has lots of clients and and invoices them out. And you're using like spreadsheets to create invoices or Microsoft Word or something. You know, you're trying to keep track of your receipts. All of this stuff, you, you don't have to worry about it with FreshBooks. They take care of everything. FreshBooks, they are the easy-to-use invoicing software. They're here to help small business owners and entrepreneurs, our favorite word, and, and independent <laughs> people. People who are just out there invoicing. You know what? You, you've got a full-time job and you do some freelance work in the evening and you get an invoice and you don't oh – wait, speaking of memory, did I invoice them? Did I – did they see it? I don't remember. All of this taken care of. It's simple. It's intuitive. And they take the intimidation out of accounting. And you can take this thing with you wherever you go. You, you have an iPhone. You have an Android device. It'll, it, it's right there. It's super simple. It couldn't be easier. And uh, they have these great support people who are ready to help. You can call them. You can email them. You can be like, how do I get started? How do I get this going? They'll help you out with it. So anyway, the, the, I've been using this service for, for years. It integrates with Google Apps, Zendesk, Basecamp, MailChimp, LiveChat, WooFoo, tons of companies. You, you do invoicing for like uh, overseas, international stuff. You can bill in any currency that you want. All they thought of everything. You can scan in the, in your receipts. It'll automatically do that. It's got time to you, you name it. This is the one-stop shop to go for online invoicing. So here's a special URL that they have set up for just for this show. It's freshbooks.com slash back to work spelled out. If you go to that URL, you will get FreshBooks free for 30 days. You can do anything and everything with their system while you're on that trial. And I think that you'll love it. But there's a little how did you hear about us section. Uh, you've got to put back to work in there. That's how you help out the show. So anyway, freshbooks.com slash back to work. Thank you very much to FreshBooks for supporting this episode. Love the FreshBooks. Love the FreshBooks. They do good work. All right. What are those jackals saying? What, what, what are they Here's want to Here's what they, they said. They're, okay. So uh, Ryan the Magic has come up with, a, with a, an interesting topic. Dealing with children... When you're working from home, a distraction-free environment. And I think that's a pretty interesting topic because uh, one of my friends is about to move out of his house, not the living, but working, move his work out of his house and come work here out of our office because we've got an, an open desk because it, he's, he's the point where now he can't get anything done. He can't get mm -hmm. anything done there in his house. Mm -hmm. You've got a private, a private room, private office. It's hard though, man. I mean, 
Yeah, keep going. But yeah, I no, that's it. That. I was just saying, like, it's... well, I mean, well, you know, one thing is, I, I I'm only hmm, maybe it's because I'm a sociopath or something, but like, I, I, by the time I was my daughter's age, uh, I was, I had not only spoken on the phone many hundreds of hours more than she has, but I had much better phone etiquette. Like, she's really not used to the idea that when I'm holding that up to my ear, I'm talking to somebody else. It's really strange because she's, she's, you know. Um, pretty polite about yeah. stuff, but she, she thinks nothing of screaming from the next room or just, and it's like, it, it's, it's virtually impossible for me to do anything, you know? And part of the problem is I think with having one kid, when you got two kids, they can hit each other, distract each other and things like that. When you just got the one, they, uh, they, they, you know, kind of want attention when they feel like oh, it. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know how anybody gets anything done at home like that. I, the, my only, the only sane answer I can think of is to only do the kinds of work that are conducive to that kind of uh, environment. Cause I feel, I feel crummy about sticking my kid in front of the TV. Sometimes, you know, if there's something like, look, I have got to go clean the kitchen. Like no way can your mom come home and have the kitchen be the way it is right now. <laughs> and so I'm going to bribe you <laughs> and you can play Mario Kart or yeah. you can watch TV or something like that. But you know, that creates, that creates a really weird environment and, and kind of unreasonable expectations that end up not benefiting anybody. I worked from home for years and years, more than five years, I think. And before I had kids, it was it was a whole separate thing. But it's weird because when you are at home, especially if you have like a spouse and especially if that spouse also works, but they work out in the world, um, there's almost this weird expectation or thought that uh, and, and my wife was great about this, but it just because you're at home doesn't mean you're doing the things that maybe need to get done at home, like doing the laundry or mowing the yard or whatever, you know, there was, but I remember this, that my wife would leave as she'd go to work and I was home, uh, you know, doing software development basically. And I became like the worst messy, you know, like I'd go and I'd, I'd, you know, I'd eat something and I'd leave the bowl sitting there on the desk and the milk would be out or what, you know what I'm saying? Like I, mm-hmm. I would make, and then I would, I would look and I'd be like, oh crap, you know, like she's going to be home. I've got like 18 minutes. Oh, it minutes. makes me feel like such a loser. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, look at all this crap everywhere. And I'd have to really, you know, really bust it out to try and get this stuff cleaned up and put away. And I'm like, why do I do that? Why don't I just put it away? Well, because I found that I would get so kind of into the zone of like, I want to write this code or I want to do this site or whatever it was I was doing that I'd be like, oh, I'll get to that later. I don't, I don't want to lose my train of thought. I don't want to lose what I'm doing, but like my stomach is turning over. I'm starving. It's, you know, three in the afternoon. I haven't eaten anything all day because I've been here in front of the computer. My problem was never, how do I eliminate distractions? It was, how do I n- not just spend all of my time focusing on this thing that mm-hmm. I'm going to get done because I don't have to shave. I don't have to shower. I can be in sweatpants and a t-shirt, you know, I get it's just... a different, it's a different kind of attention problem, really. Yeah. Don't you think? Yes, totally. Yeah. Cause on the one hand, like, it's funny because I, uh, you know, I'd spent a lot of years working at home or working sometimes on location places, but mostly at home. And like, I, I gotta say, it started to seem so crazy to me that you would ever go anywhere for a job. It just seems so inefficient. You know, and, uh, you know, well, and just because, you know, that's the color of my crystal, right? right? If I'm a guy who's sitting around, like you say, in sweatpants, then it seems so weird to like have to drive for an hour to get somewhere and you got to have dry clean clothes right. and you got to have your car and all this stuff. It just seems like it's always felt like so much overhead 
for the kinds of jobs that really just need a keyboard and internet access. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for those kinds of interactions. And there's a lot to be said for, you know, being seen by the people that you work with. That makes, you know, a huge difference. And I really, I used to feel like the pendulum had really swung one way with that, but I'm not so sure anymore. I, I think, I don't know. I think for certain kinds of jobs, people really realize the value as an employee, they kind of need you to be there. They need you to like, I mean, I'm going through this right now with some people that I work with where I sometimes find it very challenging because they all work together in one place. I'm here and I feel like I'm kind of inserting myself into what they're doing, even Mm -hmm. though I'm part of the team to an extent, like I still feel like I'm kind of a bolt on. And that's, you know, if you're in the same room with people, that's, it's a really different way of working. But I agree with you. Um, the, the attention stuff in that place, in that instance is that it, it is, so much less, I won't say easier, it's so much less difficult to disappear into your work when you're, yeah. when you're on your own. Yeah. But I guess, you know, you know, like you say, I, I do the same thing where I just forget to eat and that's, that's death. Right. It's just, but it's so dumb. And it's like somehow for me, you know, getting out of there and, um, and, 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 and getting dressed and going out into the world and doing something, you know, I have a friend who's, he's, um, worked as like a remote software developer for a company for probably more than 10 years. And he's so, uh, good at doing this, but the way that he does it, he's found something that works for himself is he, he actually doesn't work very much from home. He will leave and he'll go to the place that's comfortable for him, which is usually like a coffee shop or something like that. And he'll spend some time there and then he'll go and, you know, he'll meet someone for lunch. He's created that sort of, I'm going to go out and do things in the world, uh, for himself in, 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 in something that makes him comfortable. It's conducive to the way that he works. Look at Andy Notko. Andy has a schedule that he keeps for himself and he's, he seems to be fairly religious about it. You know, he has certain days and times that are like, this is my free time, but I have to go and sit down and work and write. And this is when I do it. But you know what? Even if I'm not done, and that's always my problem, even if I'm not done, 12 is when I stop, let's say 12 is when I stop to go eat lunch. Like that's when that happens. And unless I'm dealing with an emergency, it can wait. And I need that. That's my biggest struggle is saying, you know, I'll just, let me just work through this one thing I'm trying to fix. Or, oh, we just want to get this one thing posted or this should really get out before this time. And all of a sudden now it's 2.30 PM. I haven't gone to eat lunch. I had to cancel a lunch appointment. You know, it's like, I'm so bad about that. I'm so bad about setting those limits for myself mm-hmm. time-wise that, that will help me uh, function better, you know, and not be uh, starving because I didn't eat because I was working on some stupid code. And then the re- the restaurant, I was supposed to meet this person at closed. And you know what I'm saying? Like that happens mm-hmm. constantly. And I don't know how to enforce that in myself because it's so easy to just kind of push it off and say, oh, I'll do that later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess you get get used to or potentially good at whatever it is that you do a lot. And, you know, I think the conventional wisdom for many years when fewer people worked at home was that, oh, if only I could get rid of these distractions, if mm-hmm. only I could, like, then I would finally be able to bloom as a flower and, and do all these things. But, you know, you're kind of unprepared for all this other stuff that comes along that I think can be very challenging. And and those are the kinds of challenges that won't even make that much sense until you're actually in the situation. Yeah. When you describe them to people, that sounds kind of weird. Weird. In the same way that once I was working at home, the idea of like going to an office and having to talk about your weekend for an hour like seemed crazy to me. Yeah. But that's just part of the social lubrication that you do when you're in a job. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a different kind of challenge. And um, I don't know. The uh, it just it for me it depends a lot on what it is that I'm doing. When I was doing more website building, mm-hmm. I would just 
because I would have this giant list of all these things I had to do or wanted to do. And like, that was always a very challenging one for me, you know, with writing, well, writing was different for me because the challenge with writing is you may not feel like you're doing anything very good for a while. And then once you are doing something good, you really don't want to stop. Right. And if your kitchen sink is full of bowls at that point and you're feeling guilty, there's a lot of internal tumult, I think, because you're kind of fighting yourself. You're going, oh, you dummy. Why didn't you just do this thing right? Uh, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. No, no, no. I don't know. No, no, no. I don't know. I, I don't know how people work with other people. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's an aspect, <laughs> there's an aspect to it that I remember, I, I really, I remember people who would be talking to me about going to work in an office. And for so many years, so many years, I went to work in these corporate offices, you know, like you're saying, you go to get dry cleaning, you get a thing, whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, you just, you, you, you go through all this preparation and time. And I remember I used to think to myself, like, why do I want to spend an hour getting ready every morning and then another hour driving to and from the place I'm going to go? And then if you don't pack your lunch, you've got to go and take time out to do it. But there, there is something for me that having transitioned from that to like not only being in an office, but like I guess I run the office now. You know, like it's my office. I pay the rent on it and there's other human beings in the office with mm-hmm. me that – it it made me remember that what I or realize that what I didn't like about going to work and doing those things wasn't the the act of going into the office and and working with other people. It was the act of going into an office that was run in a way that I thought was stupid and that I didn't like and that wasn't conducive to getting stuff, at least my stuff, done. And I felt like there was a big shift. In that and still like to this day, whenever I see like I was watching it. So there's this new Kickstarter for the new Pebble Time. Have you seen that? Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah. Where they show the office that these guys work in. And I, I, I'm thinking to myself two things. One, wow, that's pretty cool. Like they're all working on this cool thing. And, and two, oh, my God, I would never want to work in that, that office. It seems crazy. And like, how would you get anything done? People are packed in there like sardines. And uh, and they're all on top of everybody else, and everyone's talking, and everyone has headphones on, and they're wearing strange outfits. And yes, some of that was for the video, but like the idea of going into that office, it looked like a beehive. You know, like that doesn't that just doesn't make sense to me. And it, like, I don't think I could work that way. That's that's not conducive for me. Yeah, I can't do that. I, I uh, it seems, seems crazy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've never quite understood it. And I, I really, I guess I started to wonder if it's a generational thing where some people are seem much more comfortable in that kind of an environment. But I, you know, par- part of it also, I guess, has to do with what kind of teams are mixing together. Mm-hmm. Like if it's your development team, that's all in a room together. Uh, I guess there, there possibly is a greater chance that you're all going to have the same, uh, way of wanting to work together the the problems i've had in the past were like different what not divisions because mm-hmm. there weren't companies that were that big but like to be honest like the salesperson being on the phone all the time and talking really loudly like a salesperson can sometimes do while everybody else is trying to you know concentrate and regain their attention for whatever it is that they're focusing on in some kind of a cube farm you know what i mean yeah but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I I really feel like I'm the outlier. Maybe you and I are outliers on that. But some people seem to have no problem with it at all. I I, I find it uh, I find it non optimal 
for whatever it is that I'm doing. I mean, let alone if you're trying to do like a podcast, I don't know how you would do that. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things that you just can't do. Um, my friend who's coming here, he does, he does like screencasts. So he has to actually like film stuff, you know? Right. And like trying to do that in a, in a, in your spare bedroom when there's other human beings there living there, you know, we get back into that situation of like, I don't, you know, I don't want to essentially punish my kids by telling them they have to be quiet while daddy films something, you know, like it just, it got to be, it got to be unreasonable. And most of us don't have the luxury of like, Oh, you know what? I'll just build my own little studio and my own little freestanding building. Right, in the backyard. Right, like, sure. I, I looked at doing that for years and just the cost of it was crazy. And what you wind up with is still, you know, not everyone's George Lucas, you know, where you can build right. this amazing thing essentially in, in your backyard. And I don't know. It, it's it's frustrating because for a while, like you were saying, it seemed like things had tipped in the direction of everyone's going to be remote. Everyone's going to be, you know, that we'll have this amazing world of virtualized everything. And look, Slack, Slack.com. But I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's that argument of if there's great talent and you want to work with that great talent and they're in Detroit and you're in Florida. Well, you know, yeah, we'll we'll work remote. I don't know. There's there's something magic about having people all working on something cool in the same room. Like that's the, still there, a real there, thing. I, yeah, there absolutely is. And, and the other, I'm trying not. To, I don't want to lean too heavily on this because I think I have a tendency to do that. But um, there's also this divide, at least in my mind, between the the worker bees and the manager bees. And you know, uh, the thing is, how can I put this? On the one hand, there is an element. Of you know the people who are, are in a position to be the leaders or the overt managers, the bosses, like they are the ones who, to a large extent, are gonna are going to control or direct the culture of the office and how we work together on many levels. First of all, they're the ones who nominally make and enforce certain kinds of rules. Like if you just didn't come in for a few days, you'd probably be in trouble because yeah. you're expected to be here from then till then at a certain time and, and available and cooperative and so forth. That's, you know, do we really have to spell that out? Not really, but that is, that's a, that's an implicit rule is you can't just go take off uh, probably. But also then you've got things like something that interests me very much, which is the extent to which the way managers and bosses behave ends up affecting the culture in ways they may or may not realize. So if you have a bunch of rules that are about a certain way of operating and you don't follow those rules to the 10th power, how you could call it hypocrisy, but how basically that sends a mixed message to people. But you know, the bottom line, I think in some ways is that if you're a manager and you're somebody who more than N percent of your job is being a practitioner where like let's say the the majority of your time is to manage is to make sure that things are being done that you know employee issues are taken care of that the people above you are having their directives carried out and so forth the thing is if you're a manager you're going to want to have an environment in which it's less difficult to manage no self-preserving manager is going to intentionally make a workplace that makes their job harder right so, for example, if it's your job to count something for a living, a great deal of your work is going to be involved around the idea of making things easier to count. Whatever that is, whatever the quality is, whether it's going up or down, if your job is to count something, anything that makes it harder to count things is going to be something that you actively legislate against. And in that same way, if your job is to be a manager and to manage and to be seen, importantly, managing, then that's going to have a huge impact on how the office runs. 
I don't think that many that that many managers, especially at a junior level, are going to ask the employees how they would like things to go. Because there may be a certain amount of flexibility there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, the people who are in a position of power are going to continue to make things the way that helps them to maintain that power and to exercise that power. Not, not, not that it's draconian, but do you know what I'm saying? I don't think, I don't think most managers, especially newer ones or junior ones, are, are, are very likely to make their job more difficult uh, rather than more manageable, if you like. Do, do you know what I mean? No, I totally do. I think there's something that I always remember this this office kind of this is a tangent, but I always remember this one office I worked in the mo- the most corporate office that I was ever in, and I think I've told this story before where i would I would get in and I would you know usually I was not the first person there. the first person there was the, this guy who was a director, Bill, and he was the director. And there was the director and then there was the managers. And of course, you know, me as an analyst would report to the manager and I was very much on an earlier schedule. So I would, uh, I would get in and the lights would be on. And that meant Bill was already there in his office. And he was the type of guy just like in office space, kind of always walking around, looking at you, you know, looking. and he was very much, if I, if I can't, how's it going? How's it going? If I can't see you, you're not working. And I, I, I remember thinking, you know, I'm going to screw with Bill a little bit because he prided himself on getting there first. And this is the se- this is the second boss that I had that was like this. And uh, and so I I remember I would get there and I got there five minutes earlier and the lights were off. So I turned the lights on, and when he walked in, there he was like I I you know you could hear him walking. I heard him and he just he stopped. And I remember, I said, hey, Bill. And he's, oh, who's that? And I came over and he's, like, oh, you're in early. What's up? You leaving early today? I'm like, no, no, just getting in earlier. And so I got in the next day and he was already there. And so the day after that, I got in even a little bit earlier before he was and there. And you're doing his thing now. Yeah. And I turned the lights on and it freaked him out again. And after that, he got in really, really early, like the next day, like way crazy early, in inhumanly early. Uh, and, and the next few days he stayed doing that. And then I went back to my normal time, but it was like, it was like a matter of pride to him to be the man that's there opening, opening the office. You know, he's getting the coffee machines going, he's got the lights on, he's there before everybody. And I knew another, another guy who, um, this is when I was working remotely, he would show up to like, if we were all going to WWDC, for example, instead of showing up when the rest of his team would show up. He had to be there at least a day, if not more, earlier so that he could just sort of be in the place that we were going to be, check everything oh, yeah. out on his, you know, he wanted He's to. He's like the advanced guy. Yeah, but not yeah. because he was relaying this information to other people and scouting out, but just because he felt uncomfortable if something else, if someone else was there before him. It made him feel weird. He didn't like that. And I, I remember like being that guy. I, I, I Checking and scoping that. it out. Well, yeah, I used to like to, I, at the, my jobby job in the nineties, I used to really like that. First of all, it did make, make me feel very, like there's, it was one of the PhDs was almost always there before me, but one of us would make coffee. We'd get the office running, but there's several things about that, that I think were really great. I mean, 
Well, there's the little things like, you know, you get to, you get to like make, make the coffee the way you want it. And there's the rituals that you go yep. through in the morning, yep. which is kind of, I think a nice way to start the day. But then let's be honest, like there's nobody in the office yet. There's not the noise. There's not the tumult. There's not the, if you like interruptions, you just, you know, it's a good time to, if I, sometimes I would feel like if I could get half hour, 45 minutes of work done in the morning before anybody came in, that might be the most valuable time of the yeah. day. Yeah. And if you're a manager, boy, I could really see that to the 10th power. You know, when you actually need to do some of your practitioner work or where you need to do something where you're not going to be interrupted. I see that appeal. Yeah. But he he found it threatening. Yeah, he was very threatened by that. No, he yeah. was very threatened by that. It sounds like you're gunning for his job. No. No. <laughs> but, you know, I, mean, I don't I don't I have like, no desire to manage. Like for me, the ultimate, the ultimate experience for me. Like what I want is to have less involvement in that kind of thing. I want people who like do that stuff, you know, like, like I have to tell you when I was in, when I was visiting Twit in, uh, in Petaluma, I guess this is a year or so ago, like there were so many people working there and doing stuff and like Leah would come in and he could just focus on doing the shows, you know, like that was his, his thing. Like he could, he'd roll in, he'd be like, okay. And he'd walk in, he'd put his thing on, he'd sit down and boom, boom, he's on, he's doing the show. And when uh-huh. he was done, he stood up, walked away. And it was like, man, I want that, you know, like. Yeah, that, uh, that takes a lot of time and effort. So much, but it's, it's just like that to me. And it's, you know, you'll always hear these great stories about, you know, Letterman and Carson, these people that we love to talk about who, you know, the. Like Carson wasn't on the phone, like selling ads for his show. You know, he, he worked on the best show on late night TV. He, he ran that thing, but he only had to focus on his one part of it. And it's like, he he would come in for the, for the, um, the morning meeting. Yeah. Like, I think they said like he would come in maybe once a month. Yeah. Just to make sure he stayed in touch with everybody. Right. But he, well, what he needed was, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing. It sounds like a good structure. Like he really trusted Peter LaSalle mm-hmm. and Fred de Cordova and that team to execute everything on his behalf. And so he just, he wanted to be handed the numbers every morning to see where he stood. He would ask Fred what he thought about the show last night. Mm-hmm. They would touch base on that, but he didn't need to be standing over everybody the whole time. And right. He absolutely did not want to be. Right. Right. And I love yeah. that. And I love Letterman barely even goes in anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, but who, see, he's almost done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how people manage. I, I give them a hard time, but I don't know how they do it. I don't know either. It's amazing to watch this last thing on when it's on the, the Jonathan Colton cruise. Uh, it's amazing what, what they've done with that infrastructure of that over five years because on the one hand yeah it's they have a relationship with the cruise line they make a deal but you just can't even believe how much work the jonathan colton team is is doing the entire time so there's you know jonathan it's i don't say he's the figurehead but i think part of jonathan's interest in even doing the cruise was basically to say to paul and storm okay we can do this as long as you guys do the work and so they've got this team of people, like money people and interns, and there's like six people that are working the entire time. And it's it's neat to be able to see Jonathan, who, you know, Jonathan can be a kind of thinky, worry kind of guy, and he's not, because he totally trusts this team to take care of it. Right. Let him know if something needs to be taken care of, but he gets to be involved in the part he's great at, which is being Jonathan and going and going to the events and getting on stage and introducing people. And, you know, it's it's almost it almost like watching a magic trick when you see somebody doing it and doing it well, you know, or in this case, over five years, how they've grown and how they've matured as a group is frankly inspiring to me. You know, no, it really is. It, and it's it's, you know, anytime you see something like that, 
uh, there is so much work behind the scenes, so much that's going into that to get it to that point. There's so much that 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 you know that takes the, the time and the effort to get to that. I was talking yes yesterday on 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 the new show um, with a guy Will Carroll who's he's like super into sports. He's also a geek, but he's like super into sports. And he's talking about like, we were talking about the MLB and the streaming and he's like talking about how many cameras and how much production work on the field, in the booth, you know, and pre-production, post-production goes into like the airing of just a regular old NFL football game on a Sunday, you know, forget the Super Bowl, forget something like that, but just the number of cameras and the the moving pieces and parts that go into something like that. It's just absolutely crazy when you I saw a thing about that that. with football and basically like what's involved in this little miniature, this village of people showing up in town and having to do the same thing or or if there's a concert movie about ACDC that kind of gets into this stuff. But it's amazing like how there's this village of people that moves from place to place over a period of time and has to create this entire world in a day and then take it all down. Yeah. It's it's, it's amazing. It's insane. It's mind boggling. And you think about uh, you think about everything that 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 is involved in that what we just see but what we see are guys running around on the field you know a few commentators up in the in the in the booth talking about stuff and right. they, you know and we just so of course that stuff just works but like even just putting together my show here it's crazy how many little tiny details there are before after and 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 the stuff that you see like during when you turn on the TV like you just assume that's the show, but there's so much be- beyond that and outside of that. And I feel like people are, you know, if if you're lucky enough to have other people involved in the thing that you're doing, it makes it so, so much easier. The fact that when I'm done with this show, I'm going to hit stop. I'm going to zip the file. I'm going to drag it to the uploads folder. You know, the BitTorrent sync thing is going to sync it out and, uh, and, and, and Mark Miles is going to get it and be able to edit it like just the fact that he can do that and then he can upload it into the CMS and that you're helping doing the, the description and like those things just happen. It's like a right. system that took a long time to like make into a system. But the idea that I can hit stop and I don't have to then go and edit it myself. Just that. That's a huge leap. But to think about like when you came out here and uh, we're recording at yeah. the, visiting here. Yeah. I think this is true of ACDC as well as, uh, you know, Sunday football or whatever. But think about each venue. Like where you got to go somewhere and in the case of a band, you have yeah. to think about, you know, I, I doubt that it's super standardized. I mean, I imagine that the light rigs are similar from place to place, but the shape of the room is different. Right. Where the craft services goes is going to be different. In the case of uh, a stadium, think about in baseball, especially with how every stadium is so different and the mm-hmm. way the lights work is going right. to be different. Right. The way, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that it's standardized somewhat over the years, but what a crazy moving target to be able to hit every time. And we just we just we just take it as you know, we just watch it, and there it is, and that's that's all we yeah, got to do. There is it is. We don't it. have to. We don't have to worry about that. But having like you're talking about with Colton's, like his staff and and production people and things on like a that, boat where you can't get stuff. <laughs> right. Like you have to whatever you you're want better have come on with you. Yeah. I, you know the same thing like Andy McMillan's doing when he's running XOXO and and these other events that he does. How all of the moving pieces behind the scenes and like you know what people are standing around. They're going to need water. 
How do we oh, get yeah. them water? It, it's not the answer is not a water fountain. You know, oh well, well, they'll probably need these little canteens or something we can give them. But we're Portland and we're all about not disposable water bottles, so we'll give them a really nice canteen. Well, we can't just give them a canteen. We need to find an environmentally nice canteen, and we we need to have the XOXO logo on it. Who who does that? Let's research companies and get bids and get prices and talk to them and make sure that they can have the number of them that we need in the time. But how many do we need? Do we need more? What if some get lost? What if some are misprinted? You know, that's just the canteen. You know, yeah. that no, goes no, into one you of these. Think of it all ahead of time. Crazy. It's crazy. You walk through all those steps. It makes me tired just to think about it. Mm. Mm. All right, let's button this up. I love you, Merlin Man. I love you too, Dan Benjamin. Mm-hmm.